The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows as well ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Talk to you all. Yeah. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Scott. Uh, surviving COVID-19 so far, are you all doing well? Yes, it's uh, actually opening up a little bit and, um, you know, on my way to getting a new haircut soon. Good for you. So, you know what? I have noticed that traffic is picking up in, you know, as you go out to uh, the store and such. So, uh, commute, not commute, do you think this is going to change a lot? <laughs> funny, <laughs> funny enough, Scott, that, isn't, that is not the commute I'm talking about. We are talking about commuting pensions. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, actually, on, on your, the way you're talking about it, the commuting part, uh, uh, I've heard something like 35% of people are not going to be commuting back to the office. They'll be working from home. And so it's going to be an interesting change, and I think it's... Uh, a paradigm shift that will definitely have embers of leaving it the way we are now with the new normal for a lot of people. And they will be saying, okay, you were very effective working from home. Why are you commuting and wasting that hour each way or sometimes longer than that? So, yeah, that, that whole uh, question on the commute to work is, is uh, going to be a different one for a lot of people working. That on the other topic of commuting pensions, there's a lot of people there that may not have their job, um, so they're getting packages, and I've had a few of those calls in the last couple of weeks, or been offered packages, and part of that package may be to commute their pension because under their rules they can have that choice. Um, on top of that, they're sweetening the pot by saying, well, if you do leave now, we're going to give you two years of salary um, or whatever the number is, and it's actually a mathematical equation. doesn't make sense for you. Now, that's the mathematical side. The client I was talking to, um, I just said emotionally, I don't know if it makes sense for him to retire. He's very energetic, loves his job, and uh, really hasn't got the things in place, you know, to what would I do kind of thing if he didn't have a job. So it came a little too sudden for him, so he will not be leaving after our discussion. But the nice thing is, after all these years, he was able to retire. So then it just took that off the table. Yes, you can retire if you like, but you don't need to, you don't have to, and you'll be fine if you keep working for a few more years. But that being said, the idea of commuting a pension, what does that mean? Well, basically, what they do, they take your pension, and they take the amount today, what it would be worth today, to fulfill all the pensions for um, future monthly payments. So they look at what your life expectancy would be um, based on your age, sometimes even what your job is. Your different job class would be different, and different job class have different life expectancies, male versus female, um, smoker versus non-smoker, and what are the interest rates today, and, and also take into account a survivor benefit for your spouse. So they take all that data and they say, okay, your pension is worth this many dollars. And it could be extremely sizable because really, in my, in my mind, this could actually be the largest decision that you'll ever make. They often say your biggest purchase or your biggest decision 
financial decision that is, could be purchasing a house. Well, this could be worth far more, far greater than your house. This has been part of the money that your employer has taken off your wages all your life, and they put aside into this pension. Now, sometimes it, it's not necessary how much they take off your pay, but it's money that they've added to your pay, and they're paying for the whole shot. There's different pensions. Uh, teachers' pensions, example, about 12% of their pay, 11 12%, is taken off each paycheck, and then it's matched by the government or, or by the superannuation. Um, other pensions, they're fully funded by the employer, so you don't pay anything into it. You simply get a pension at the end. No, it wouldn't be nearly as great, but every pension has different rules. But at the end of the day, it is part of your compensation, and at, if you've worked there for 30 years, you started, say, at 20, now it's 50, you're 50, you've got 30 years of being part of this pension. That's a lot of money that could have accumulated. So you have to look at, you know, the amount has been built into this, and it, we've seen pensions greater than a million dollars in terms of community value. I think, Andy, you, not long ago, you, I think it was a hydro worker that you had that was uh, quite sizable. Yeah, and hydro workers are an interesting situation too because um, talk about a complicated decision. Uh, I think at the time that executive was offered seven different options <laughs> at the time in terms of commuting options. So it, it can be pretty complex. Absolutely. And, and it, it come with typical options is they say, okay, here's what your pension would be. And they have kind of like a default. And one would be, okay, here's your pension. Let's call it 4000 a month. And if you were to die before your spouse, your spouse will get 60% for the rest of his or her life. And that's kind of a, a standard, um, normal pension option. But then you say, okay, that's, that's your default. And quite often, if you don't sign anything back, that may be the one they, they go with. So it may be the default one. So if you don't get the paperwork back by a certain time, they'll go with something like that one. But other ones would be, well, you can get a 70% or a 75% going to the spouse. There could be an 80% going to the spouse. And there even could be 100% going to your spouse. So, therefore, if you died before your spouse, he or she would get the exact same pension for the, re- the remainder of the survivor's life. Now, every time you add more to your spouse, you've taken a reduction in the amount you'll get. So if you're getting, say, 4000 a month under the default, um, 100% to you and 60% survivor, well, if you went 100-100, maybe it might be 3700 now, and uh, therefore you'll get a, your, your spouse will get 3700 for the rest of their life if you were to die before them. Now, I had a, a story a number of years ago that the client wanted 100% going to the, the, employee, the employee, and they both agreed that, it's such a great deal, we're going to have zero go to the spouse upon the death. And so in that case, let's say it was 4500 a month for the rest of his life in this case, and a lot better than getting only 4000 a month if, if he were to die, um, if he, any, any of the amount would go to the spouse. Well, I happened to have an appointment with this client, and... Thankfully, I did because I said, okay, that is super high risk because if you were to die, then your spouse would get nothing. And this lump sum of money is just would simply end up going to the insurance company. And they basically said, well, that, you know, I've been very healthy all my life, etc. Bit of a tragic story. He ended up dying six months later. Thankfully, he changed it from the 100% 
uh, going to him and zero to his wife to a hundred percent going to him and sixty percent to his wife. So the sixty percent survival versus zero percent survival, and good thing they did because she she lived another oh it's been at least twenty years after the fact she just died recently so she got twenty years of payments that she wouldn't have gotten and she would have had to sell her house and everything else so a massive decision so I can't tell you how important these decisions are and you really need to go through a, a, a you know a very good financial planner in terms of make sure that person's very acquainted with all the decision making because it can be quite complex as Andy mentioned. Uh, one option, one option they often give you is taking the commuted value. And this is where there can be a conflict of interest. If you're talking to a financial planner and they say, well, should I take the commuted value, call it $700,000, or should I take the pension? Well, your financial planner has to make, you have to make sure the financial planner is definitely looking after your best interest because it is their best interest to take the money, for you to take the money, because they would get paid to do so. And i got to say, this is a very important decision to make. You have to look through all the numbers and the pros and cons of doing so. So what happens in a committed value is, let's say you were to get 700000 well, maybe 450 of it would go into a locked-in retirement account. So it basically goes into an RSP tax rate, but there's also usually an overage that is taxable. And that, that in this case, let's say it's 250000 that overage is 100% taxable in the year you claim it. So this is a, a great opportunity, if you've got lots of RSP room, to catch up on all that RSP room. And so that 250, let's say you have 100,000 RSP room, you can move 100 to your RSP, top that up. And that still leaves 150,000 added to your income for that year, which also makes a case for saying, well, you may want to retire, say, January 1st of the year. So you have very little income or virtually no income for the year, and that 150000 will be added to that year's income tax. So, again, lots to think about. There's a lot of reasons why people will stay with the pension. First of all, there's a high degree of certainty of your income. You know you got this money showing up in your bank account every month. We call that fun money. You don't have to worry about it. It just shows up. No worries. COVID, what COVID? I still get my check going into my bank account every, every month, and there's no worries, except if there's some concern that whoever is looking after your pension may mishandle it or the company itself may go bankrupt. And I know there were some Stelco concerns not long ago that people would get, lose a lot of their pension because there was worries that they would only get 80%. So, but to the most part, there's a high degree of certainty. Um, another thing to take into account is some pensions, if you stay with the pension, you'll continue to get the health benefits. And that's important. So if, if the health benefits are worth four or $500 a month, that should be taken into account of your decision, particularly if they're very good health benefits. And secondly, if your spouse doesn't have any benefits or if there's a lot of health concerns and you're using the benefits a lot. So, again, lots of reasons. Um, if you're a very conservative investor, why would you want to move your money out of your pension to something that's paying a very low interest rate? Because if you do so, you quite frankly may run out of money. So you, you do have to invest a little bit more aggressively if you are going to take the locked-in retirement, move the commuted, take the committed value. Now, there's some peace of mind, like I said, having, having the pension. Um, the other good thing is if you retire before 65, you're allowed to split the pension. You can't do that if you move it to, to the uh, 
to a locked-in retirement account. You have to wait till you're 65. So if you're 60, you're able to split this with your spouse, the income, and that could have some significant tax savings. Um, the investment risk is obviously a non-issue because you're simply getting an income every month, and there's no tax bill. That 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 big part that was going to go into uh, basically non-register, you don't have to worry about that big tax bill. And also, if your pension might be indexed, and that's an important part of getting a pension. Now, if it's not indexed, it's quite easy. But again, there's that inflation risk you don't have to worry about if you have an indexed pension. So those are the pros of going with a sticking with the pension. After the break, we're going to go with the pros of commuting. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and take a peek at their website at Andy and Don. That's Andy and Don, all one word, dot com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. We're going to take a quick break. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're talking about commuting pensions. Yes, and I, as I mentioned earlier, this is a topic that has come up a fair bit because... Uh, there may be some layoffs or reduction in the workforce, and people are saying, okay, here's a, a sweetener to, uh, to retire a little early. And they're saying, okay, should I commute my pension or not? And uh, like I said, there's lots of reasons to keep your pension. Um, one last reason, actually, is if you do keep your pension, I look at that as like a big, giant GIC, Guaranteed Investment Certificate, and therefore the rest of your portfolio should be, could be invested far more aggressively. Because it really doesn't matter if it's going up and down because you're using your pension as, as a major part of your income. And therefore, you get a lot of inflation protection from the rest of your portfolio. And it could be invested throughout the world and, and generally equities. Now, reasons to commute, though, if you have a lot of RSP room to use up, what a great opportunity to use that, that money from, the, from commuting your pension. You weren't able to do it all those years. And it probably, even though you probably should have, you got to one fell swoop, use up all that RSP room. Um, you can now, the nice thing about getting, controlling your money is you get a lot more flexibility if you commute it. You can manage around that old age security clawback rules because you can say, okay, I'm going to only take X amount of dollars this, this year or I'm not going to take anything for the next five years. Uh, I, I'm going to delay my CPP. You can just work that as, a, as part of the overall income and say, I'm going to take a lot more in the first five years and have some fun, and then I'm going to take a big reduction after that, and then I'll start collecting my old age security at that time. So lots of flexibility, and I would suggest that would be one of the biggest reasons. Um, the, other, the other, I would say the, large, the number one reason you should commute is if you have health issues. And if you've got health issues that could jeopardize your life expectancy, then why not just take your commuted value and if you feel that you may not live a long time, at least you have this 100% of your money that would end up going to your spouse. And if she is, if you're not married, it would go to your kids. And this way, your estate would be far greater by commuting 
as opposed to not commuting, and therefore basically the money is left in the pension fund for the ones that do live a long time. So the other end of it, you can still buy an annuity with part of the money that you've commuted. You, can, you don't have to go all or none. You can say, okay, I'll take my money, but I'm going to buy an annuity just like a pension, and I'll get, say, 2000 a month from that, and I'll get the other 2000 a month from my, the money that I have commuted, and it's invested. So lots of reasons there. Um, again, flexibility is one of the biggest things, and also control the investment assets. If you feel you can do a lot better job than, than what the pension fund is in terms of rate of return, why wouldn't you? Because generally speaking, the rate of return inside the pension is not that high because it's invested in long-term interest rates, particularly now where you're going to get maybe maybe 2%. So there's a lot about that, and you don't have to worry about if the fund, if the pension is going to be around or not. So lots of reasons to commute, lots of reasons not to commute. It all comes down to a personal decision, and part of this is math, and we work through all the numbers for you, and part of it's emotion. And, and at the end of the day, you've got to make sure you sleep well at night knowing that you've got all the data, you know all the information. It's your pension, it's your money. You really need to feel comfortable with whatever decision you make. So we can actually figure out what return you're going to make, you need to make, in order to keep up to the pension. So once we know what you're going to get per month from the pension, we'll work out the rate of return and say, okay, you need to make this much in your investments to break even. And that's part of it. But the emotion part, we really can't figure that out. That's a peace of mind thing. And if you're, honestly, regardless of what your left brain is saying about commuting pension, it all makes sense on paper. But if it still doesn't make sense to you emotionally, then just take the pension. And therefore, you can invest the other money differently. But longevity risk is definitely an issue. And right now, if you look at, a, say, a male 55, he's going to live to about 86 on average. A female 55 is going to live to 89 if you're 65 as a male, you're going to live to 87. 75 as a uh, male, 88. And 85 as a male, 91. Now, the females live, on average, about two years longer than males in all those categories. So longevity, regardless of, well, my parents only lived to this long, the nice thing about having a pension, or at least an annuity for part of it, you've eliminated the longevity risk. You know you're going to get X amount of dollars per month, per month for the rest of your life, and you don't have to worry about that part. That being said, it's still nice to keep money for the estate or for different things right now. And that's why the com- commuting part, if you say, I'm going to travel, <laughs> again, travel pre-COVID days where you could, I want to do a lot of things. Well, you can't do that much if you've got a monthly pension. So it might, you may want to have a lump sum of money right now. And that's where a commuted value would allow you a lot more flexibility. So at the end of the day, speak to your financial planner. Make sure he's gone, he or she's gone through this list, comprehensive list that we've talked about today, to make a very good decision should you commute or not commute. Now, on a different note, um, debt management is something COVID is making people real, really think about. I know Andy's got a, going to be discussing the debt side of things. Yeah, Don, I was just going to add, you know, in terms of commuting the pension, one thing, as you say, this is it's such a huge decision, and there are a lot of different options, and you need to have somebody who's, I think, had experience in this. And I know, for example, at IG, we're required to take specific, an additional course in this particular so- uh, topic to be able to uh, be certified to actually discuss and uh, the 
the commutation options and also um, uh, to be able to actually bring over a pension from somebody's uh, former employer. So it's, uh, you know, ask, ask a lot of questions about, you know, how often do you do this? What training do you have or what other education have you had if you're pursuing uh, a commutation of your pension? Yeah, so I wanted absolutely. to talk, well yeah. said. so I wanted to talk about the truth about credit and the truth about credit is something that, uh, you know, it, it can happen at all walks of life and at all stages of life. And, uh, and it, it, today, more than ever, people are really sort of focusing or crunch or doing the cr- crunching the numbers in terms of uh, job loss or in terms of a uh, reduction in loss uh, income. I mean, or a layoff. And so, really, what I just wanted to get into in this section is to talk about what are the the issues around debt and credit, and uh, and what kind of options are there. And we this particular section I was focusing in on what we call, this is an organization called the Credit Counseling Society of Canada. And the Credit Counseling Society of Canada really proposes to individuals uh, not only education, but really an alternative to bankruptcy. And it's a nonprofit organization. And they really focus on working with individuals, budget counseling, and then they also will reach out to lenders in terms of negotiation, to being able to reduce interest rates on on particular credit or loans, restructure payments, etc. And uh, the Credit Counseling Society of Canada has been around for about 24 years, and they've helped retire over $500 million in debt over the last 24 years in terms of uh, almost half a billion dollars. Wow. So it doesn't include, and it doesn't involve these consumer proposals. It doesn't include. Uh, it does not include filing for bankruptcy. And the nice thing about this service is that it's completely private. There's no record that goes on to your credit score or into any kind of financial record uh, background. So when you think about credit and the mistakes that we make. Uh, you know, we're really at a crossroad, and we're going to talk a little bit more about CMHC, Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, later on. But uh, CMHC has projected that by September of this year, 2020, we could see up to 20% of mortgages in arrears. And uh, with that, you know, there's obviously a lot of anxiety. And in fact, 29% of people today are uh, expressing anxiety, high levels, severe anxiety over their credit and debt levels. 60% of people are reporting having high levels of debt, and this includes companies as well. And in terms of companies, it's, it, it was the study, this was a study by CMHC, which also said that lost work uh, up to about three days a month of lost productivity due to credit issues and anxiety over credit issues. So, and the, the sad truth is about 40% of us don't pay off our credit cards every month. With an average balance of about $5,000, I'll run through some examples, of, you know, kind of what that means over the long term. And 50% report being one week away. Uh, if they lost income for one week, they would have trouble meeting their financial obligations. And, uh, you know, it affects everybody, as I mentioned, whether you're an hourly individual or you're making 300000 to 400000 a year. People from all walks of life have used the Credit Counseling Services of Canada to help help, help them, uh, you know, deal with their debt. And Canada, unfortunately, we used to be great savers, but today we actually have the highest debt level of all G7 countries. 
So we're really at a crossroads in many ways, and uh, as I say, it hits everyone. You know, and a lot of times people, you know, we, we have stuff. You know, we're doing well, we've accumulated things, but in reality, we've been overspending. And that shows up in terms of uh, lines of credit, credit cards that aren't being paid. So, it, you know, th- there's different levels of this anxiety and the stress for sure. But the, but the reality, I was going to say the truth is, is that 51% of us lie about our money and lie about our financial situation. We, 51% of us lie about our finances to our spouse. We lie about it to advisors, Don and I, and 51% lie to surveys, too. So uh, all these statistics I'm giving you, it's only half right. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, it's kind of interesting. As financial advisors, when you're lying to your advisor, we're creating a plan with that data. Absolutely. And so that means the plan will not be accurate if we don't know the exact numbers. I know that's a strange one, but it, it, it it's you know we're just uncomfortable with uh, acknowledging maybe our our weaknesses in terms of our finances. So why does why does all this happen, and what are the main causes of people running into credit and debt issues? And uh, I wrote down uh, seven things, and I'm actually going to go to number four. <laughs> number four, a uh, number four on my list, which is probably the key, is no budget, and. Without a budget, you just you really just don't have any idea about how to, you know, if you're trying to uh, curb your spending, control your spending, and you don't measure it and have a budget, then basically it's just a wish list. You know, you're, you're, you're not going to get anywhere unless you have a budget and you can measure it. So that's number four. But number one, which, is, which sort of starts off, we'll start with unemployment or underemployment. And typically what happens is the average period of unemployment, it takes about three months for somebody to find a new job. And so usually people will start using their credit cards or they might uh, start using a line of credit to get themselves through that bridge through the gap in terms of a lifestyle. And this is also why when we talk about having a short-term reserve, why it's important to have that three-month cushion, which is the best place to start. Because again, on average, it takes about three months to find that new job. We know six, anything beyond three, three months in terms of a short-term reserve for uh, spending would be better. Six months would be ideal. Number two reason is excessive use of credit. So again, people using multiple cards, multiple uh, lines of credit, etc. The number three reason people end up in trouble could be injury or an illness where they can no longer work. And again, that sort of comes back to uh, loss of employment income. And number four, as I mentioned, the budget. Number five is separation and divorce. And uh, number six is a failed business. And number seven is high housing costs or, or high mortgage payments as well. And as I said, the list really applies to all walks of life. And in, in every in our financial world, all of our financial goals involve two things. They involve money and time. <laughs> How long does it achieve to achieve any of our financial goals? Uh, you know, we have to accumulate money to be able to either buy something or to help us retire. And the question is, how much money can we save and how much time do we have to save it in order to achieve that goal? But credit is something, you know, I, I had a great analogy that credit is kind of like a drug. And, and, uh, and the reason it's like a drug is that it's pretty easy to get, right? You can, you can go out there, you can find it if you want it, you can get, uh, you can get your credit. Uh, it's addictive, Right. Once you've got it and you sort of start using it and uh, it, it becomes e- it's easy to become addicted to having. 
but that, uh, but this can this drug can also be beneficial, right? You think about all the drugs that, when used under with a proper prescription and used based on a doctor's uh, prescription, uh, can be extremely beneficial. But on the other hand, it can also take you to a dark place as well if you abuse if you abuse the drug. So we call this uh, opium. It's not opium like opium drug. It's OPM, which stands for other people's money. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really what that's really what credit is. It's other people's money. You're using other people's money to accomplish something today, or to buy something today, or and and really. Um, so if I was thinking about credit as a drug, and and if I'm the pharmacist, and a lot of times people like to blame the pharmacist. You know, why did they give me so much credit? Why you know I had this income and they maxed out my mortgage, and you know so they're blaming others. And, uh, and the truth is, is that, you know, if I had a back injury or something and I was prescribed pills, my pharmacist, my pharmacist fulfilled that for me, and thank God. And if I follow it correctly, I'm probably going to get a pretty good outcome. So uh, it's a, it's a, it is like a drug in, in so many ways, and, uh, and you have to be able to manage it effectively. But I want to come back to budgets and talk about a great budgeting tool that the uh, Credit Counseling Society of Canada has, and it's free on their website as well. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call, even during COVID-19, at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. You can listen to old archive shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Going to take a quick break. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're talking about truth about credit. The devil is in the details, I guess. Exactly. And this is where, as I mentioned, probably the, the number one thing that we have to know is, is a budget, some kind of budget that people are working with. And uh, the Credit Counseling Society of Canada has a free Excel, <clears throat> pardon me, Excel spreadsheet budget. And the website is nomoredebts.org nomoredebts.org and there um, you look for their uh, calculators and you'll find the uh, budget calculator so I like this budget calculator because it goes into it can go into a lot of detail Um, sometimes that's a bit overwhelming but I think you just work through it a little bit at a time but I really like the way it starts off because they first of all ask you you know who you are uh, a little bit of information you know how many people in your household etc and then they ask you, you, you have two options in terms of your budget calculator. And option one is, you know what, I'm in trouble. I really need to tighten up my finances. So that's option one. Option two is, you know, I feel I'm okay, but I really just want to make sure I can stay on track. So it's kind of nice because it separates, you know, where do you feel you are right now? You know, do I have to go deep on this or am I, I really just need to tune up and stay on track? And so, you know, you get into obviously it's income and your expenses. And uh, but I like the way they sort of drill into a few things, you know, clothing, for example, they actually talk about, you know, so clothing for me, clothing for my spouse, but also shoes for me and shoes for my spouse, because that's a different category for <laughs> men and women. <laughs> and I like that one. But obviously, what are you saying, Andy? Haircuts, by the way, Andy, 
Yeah, that's under personal. We'll get into that one in a second. <laughs> um, but uh, some maybe like professional clothing, maybe of uniform, or you have to buy suits or something for your job as well. Clothing for kids, etc. Uh, medical costs, and then under personal expenses, things like um, work lunches, um, work supplies, and then we get into under personal expenses, living expenses. And living expenses were where all the fun stuff is, but it also really kind of it uncovers it and pulls it out to make sure you're not you're not missing anything for you know right down to uh, tanning and aesthetic services at the salon so you can you can see the number of options there is is pretty good they also give you some guidelines too in terms of what would make sense like in a particular category so for example on housing um which would be you know everything utilities uh, your mortgage payments etc you don't want to be spending more than 35 percent of your income on that that's the biggest one food should be anywhere from 10 to a maximum of 20 percent clothing uh, the range would be minimum, like around three to five percent maximum. Uh, medical expenses around three to five percent. That personal category, the fun category, five percent to twenty percent, and of course savings has to be in there at five to ten percent as well. So it's kind of nice you can kind of guide or get a guideline of how you're doing relative to those benchmarks as well. But what do we use credit for? And I guess the the thing we use credit for is the difference are really our needs and our wants versus the things we can afford. And, uh, you know, what we've actually been evolving at IG is when we use our IG living plan, your financial plan, we're actually running some trials right now where we're, we're going to try to aggregate all of your different financial accounts. So you might have a bank account at this bank and you use your credit card over here. And by aggregating those all into your financial plan with your permission, um, we can now drill down and analyze the spending to help get a better budget and a better focus because one of the things is the more solid the numbers are coming into your plan, the, the more confident we are in terms of the results coming out, and that has a lot to do with the budget. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about the traps around budgeting, and uh, these include things such as uh, buy now, pay later scenarios. Uh, you hear a lot of advertisements for as little as $60 a month for as little as $19.99 a month, you can do this. Um, transferring credit balance offers to lower your rate. Um, the um, low introductory rate option. And uh, so, you know, and to give you an example, um, you know, I was watching a late night uh, program the other day and there was an advertisement for uh, Bowflex. And so you could get a Bowflex now and I think for as little as $60 a month. And so these things are uh, pretty expensive. So, you know, if you, if you had bought, say, uh, uh, used it on credit card, if you had a $3,000 expense and you were paying $60 a month on that credit card, which is the minimum payment, at 19.9%, Scott, how many years do you think it would take you to pay off your credit card? $3,000 at $60 a month at 19.9%. You'd be way too old to do any bow flexing whatsoever. <laughs> 42 years. Not bad. 53 years and seven months. Wow. Now, here's the twist, though. What And the average balance, I said, is about five grand. So you can imagine what's happening there. And the total interest expense is $12,709 over that 53 years for a total expenditure of 15709 for your $3,000 Bowflex. They never tell you about but if those you were, things. If you were able to add 
$40 a month, Scott. So instead of paying your $60, if you paid $100 a month towards your credit card, how many years would it take you to pay it off then? I have no idea, but I, I do know the Bowflex is about as valuable as a gym membership. <laughs> <laughs> well, the answer is three and a half years. So you went from 53 years down to three and a half years to pay it off just by adding an extra 40 bucks a month. You paid only $1,100 in interest, so a total cost of $4,100. So understanding credit and the truth about credit is so important. We're going to talk a little bit more about it when we come back. And how does that Bowflex work as a shoe tree or a clothing tree in the corner after you don't use it anymore? Is it good for that? Just wait Just wait till I tell you about your, your no-pay Best Buy purchase that you made. <laughs> we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. AndyandDon.com is the website, or you can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. We're talking about the truth about credit. Yeah, so we were talking about some of the traps around credit, and uh, I mentioned, you know, for as little as and or buy now, pay later scenarios, and we call these the no-no plans. So it's like no payments now, no interest now, and uh, so Scott, if you were to walk into your Best Buy or maybe go online, uh, and you had twelve hundred bucks you were going to spend with no payments and no interest for the next two years, what would you buy? Uh, I feel very guilty and probably walk right out because I know you guys would question on whatever I spent that kind of money on. Do you notice how I'm dodging every single question you're asking me today? You are. You're doing a good job. So, well, let's say you bought a new, um, uh, what do you call those things that go in the air? Uh, a drone. A drone. Let's yeah. say you bought a new drone. Yeah. You bought yourself a drone to spy on your neighbors. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you... You decide to pay twelve hundred bucks, but no payments and no interest for two years. Well, what we've done in terms of analyzing this type of purchase is the and, and the retail retailers love this because the, the average person one year later has simply has made no payments at all, right? They and in theory they will have saved up money, right? You want to save up to be able to pay it back. It's roughly about fifty bucks a month, uh, and so. But the average person after one year has really has saved nothing. They have put nothing aside in terms of paying out this thing at the end of two years. Statistically, after 18 months, the average person has saved about two to $300 towards their uh, purchase. And then at 24 months, the average person has saved about 500 bucks. So you walk into Best Buy, you give them their 500 bucks. Because you didn't pay off the whole thing at that point, you are going to retroactively be charged interest all the way back to the very first day. So not only do you have to pay the interest going forward on the outstanding amount, you also have to pay all the interest for the previous two years. Uh, so 
it, it works out to about interest rate too. It's, yeah, it works out to about twenty-five to thirty percent interest rate on these types of loans, and uh, you end up paying about two to three times the amount over the, over the course of that actual period is the average. And this happens in about eighty percent of times. Eighty percent of people wow. don't pay it off at the end of the two-year period. Just so you can get a drone and make sure everybody's physically distancing themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh so what I want to talk about is payday loans. We've mentioned this quite a few times, and um, the, the you know the average person that takes these payday loans, uh, you know, the, actually the limit on these used to be about fifteen hundred bucks. That was the maximum you could borrow under these plans. Well, that's now gone up to with the advent of these hybrid lines of credit, etc., up to twenty to thirty thousand dollars can be loaned through these payday individuals uh, organizations. But the loan has to be paid back for only after fourteen days, so it's a four. 14-day loan. And um, there's no credit check at all. You just have to have an income and disability income. Can't, you know, any income you have that goes regularly into your uh, bank account will qualify. And you have to have not bounced a check three times in the last year. <laughs> so if you have if you have no credit and an in, uh, no credit history, uh, no credit check, but you have income, you're good to go. And it only costs $17 per hundred. So, Scott, if I were to ask you what interest rate that is, if you had to pay $17 per hundred, what interest rate is that? 170%? 17% is what yeah. most people say, right? But if you actually... For, that's not 14 days for 14 days. So by right. the time you actually work that out over 365 days, it's 442%. But could you imagine the marketing on that? Hey, I'm your best friend. We'll give you a loan when you're in trouble, no credit, checks, etc. And the interest rate is 442%. Nobody's going to line up for that. But for 17 bucks, we seem to think that, that that's just great. And I think they're as low as $15 per hundred in Ontario. That still works out to 390%. So um, bottom line is, um, if you're tr- struggling with your fi- your financial debt and credit, uh, the Credit Counseling Society of Canada offers free services and courses as well. Uh, it's a great place to start, and they also have a lot of free access to free uh, tools there as well. We just want to touch on some changes that are happening at Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation in terms of qualifying for a new mortgage. Yes, and they're changing these rules as of July the 1st. And first of all, CMHC financing is mandatory for all mortgages for a house purchase that is less than a million dollars. So, and th- what they've done starting July 1st is the percent of household of, of the household income spending on housing costs can be no more than 35 percent. It is as of right now 39 percent. And what they mean percent of income of household of the household? Well, the housing costs represent principal interest, taxes, heating bill. And so that's a fairly significant decrease. So now you have to have a higher income or you have to have lower costs, one of the two. Now also, they've also on the same token, percent of the household income spent on debts in total have been reduced from 44% down to, 40, down to 42%. And so what this means is that the average person buying a house starting July 1st, so there is a bit of an uptick in, more, in people buying houses right now, is they can afford 12% less of a house right now, starting July 1st. So basically, an example, if you had $100,000 of income and you had a 10% down payment, right now, before July 1st, you can afford a $524,000 home. Call it $525,000 home for argument's sake. Starting July 1st, the maximum house you'll be able to buy would be only $462,860. 
So there's a 12% difference, and that's often the difference of getting the house you want or, not, or having to save longer for the house you want or just not getting a house at all. So they've tightened these rules. These all come into play. There's a, a little bit more to go to this, but in general, CMHC financing uh, costs ranges from about 28 to 4% of the value of the mortgage. So it can add a, a fair bit, and it's just added to your mortgage. But if it means not getting a house, it's definitely worth getting this CMHC financing. And quite often, the institution will lend you at a lower interest rate than if you do not have an insured mortgage. So That's there is some pros to this, too. But obviously, it's best if you had the 20% down in general. But uh, for most people, they don't. And for those people that only have 5% down, they're going to pay this 4% CMHC financing. And uh, they're going to be able to buy less of a house starting July 1st. So uh, either get out there and buy a house really quick, or you'll just have to know going forward these are the rules. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Thank Scott. You, Scott. Take care. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.